So every single week I sit down to write my sermon and I feel a little bit shaken, a little bit out of my element. I have never gotten entirely comfortable with speaking for God. I feel pretty ill-equipped, actually, to be the voice or the hands and feet, much less the heart of God. Yet, every week, at some point during the week, I sit down in front of my computer and I at least attempt it because God has called me to it. God calls me to a lot of things. God's called me to the married life. Pay attention. <laughs> God's called me to parenting. God, <laughs> um, God has called me to lead uh, the church, to care pastorally for others, to order the church and lead the church in ministry and mission with and uh, for the community. God has called me to plan and lead worship and to preach. God's called me to sacramental authority. Most of these things make me pretty uncomfortable. Some of these things I just really don't want to do. All of these things I feel, at least at some point in time, completely insufficient to, pretty ill-equipped for. Because God calls me more often than not to things that make me uncomfortable, that feel counterintuitive to me. And I'm not the only one God calls, y'all. And I'm not the only one who trembles when God calls. Hear now a reading from Isaiah and listen for God's word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me! I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched me on my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying to me, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Did y'all hear all those voices? I mean, I'm sure you didn't understand all the words that every single one of them spoke, but I hope that you got through that great, chilling cacophony of voices, at least the sense that 
God calls every sort of person from all across history, from all sorts of places to many different purposes. There's Mary, an unwed teenage girl called to bear a savior. And then Moses, he's a murderer on the run. He has a speech impediment. God calls him to inspire Pharaoh to free God's people. And then Samuel, he's a young boy. He gets called to anoint and advise some of Israel's first kings. And Jacob, we talked about him a few weeks ago, you remember? He was a trickster and a schemer. He was called as the namesake of God's people. And then Ananias, he was a Christian Gentile in the very early church. He was called to minister to and restore the sight to one of the greatest threats and greatest persecutors of both Christians and Gentiles in the early church, the Pharisee, Paul. And then there's Isaiah. I wonder if this was Isaiah's sermon writing day, because he certainly seems shaken. And it's no wonder. I mean, suddenly he finds himself inexplicably caught up into the presence of God. And it is an awesome sight. God's presence fills the temple. The earth is shaking. Smoke pours out. There's these crazy six-winged birds flying around singing God's praise. He is so struck by this breathtaking revelation of God's presence that suddenly the stark contrast between he and the people he lives among and God's holiness just pierces him. Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And yet in that very same moment, one of the seraphs descends upon him and sears his lips with a fiery coal. In that moment, his lips are purified. He's freed of sin and guilt. And in freedom, now, he can hear God's voice calling, Whom shall I send? And in a moment of sheer abandon, Isaiah cries out, Here am I, send me. It's beautiful. And it's terrifying. It's beautiful because Isaiah in that moment gives himself fully and completely to God's call. But it's terrifying because through Isaiah, we hear God calling us to that same abandon. It's beautiful and it's terrifying. It's an abandon that I think we all simultaneously long for and resist, a radical and faithful abandon that we all, at least some of the time, find impossible to surrender to. Beautiful and terrifying. Take Judah. God, through Isaiah, calls Judah to a very radical and faithful abandon. 
During King Uzziah's reign, Judah was relatively independent and mostly at peace. But now Judah faces enemies from the north. Around the time of King Uzziah's death, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria threatened to overtake Judah. And it was in that year that Isaiah received this call to prophesy to Judah. Tell the people of Judah to rely on me, God says. The threat from the north, it will come to nothing. Tell them to trust in me, I will protect them. Tell them this, they will stand in faith or they won't stand at all. But the people of Judah, they just couldn't envision what that might look like. They really wanted to do something They were afraid. They couldn't resist the instinct to defend themselves, so they formed an alliance with Assyria, which was a a distant superpower who up until that point had barely taken notice of Israel or Judah. Assyria does help them and initially defeats Israel and Syria, and Judah is protected at least for a time. Unfortunately, The alliance with Assyria quickly sours, and it's not long before Assyria virtually destroys Judah as well. Judah was asked to do something radically faithful and extremely uncomfortable and counterintuitive. Do nothing in the face of imminent and deadly danger. They couldn't do it. Self-preservation self-defense, self-sufficiency, all these things took the place of faith in God and the consequences were devastating. I wonder how often we do that in our personal lives. I know that I do it way more than I'd like to admit. I mean, it's instinct. It's reflex. We want to be in control. We want to take care of ourselves. We want to solve our own problems We want to create our own destiny. We certainly don't want to wait. We don't want to be uncomfortable or afraid or uncertain at all. We find it really difficult to stop and take the time to listen for God's voice, to discern how it is that God is calling us. That can feel like doing nothing. In the United Methodist Church, there's a formal discernment process for discerning a call to ministry. It's changed a little bit since I went through it, but at the time that I went through it, the process was nine months long. And during that time, you were called to pray and reflect through uh, by using a workbook, by reading assigned readings and meeting on a monthly basis with um, a group, a community of other people who were also discerning their call to ministry. Um, and it was led by a clergy and a layperson. I think it's absolutely no coincidence that the length of this discernment process is the same as that of pregnancy. I've been through both processes, and there are a lot of similarities. There's the excitement, of course, mixed with sheer terror. And in both cases, you go through all these changes 
In the case of pregnancy, your body is stretched in ways you would have never thought possible. And in discernment, the Holy Spirit really does a number on on you. During this whole process, it's pulling and stretching and expanding your mind and your heart and your soul. The pain is real, y'all, as you discover what it is that God would birth in and through you. And the waiting is excruciating, remaining constantly attentive, wondering what exactly is it that constitutes a sign or a word from God anyway? At the end of my process, the only thing that I was reasonably certain of was that I was being called to seminary, maybe eventually to teach. I was nowhere near ready to entertain the possibility of full-time ministry in the local church or, or otherwise. And ordained ministry? That was completely out of the question. And preaching? Ha! That wasn't going to happen. Woe is me, I thought. Talk about a person of unclean lips. I certainly was not holy enough for that. And I knew that because the church taught me that. Growing up, I can't remember a time when I didn't feel called or drawn to God. Although I'm not exactly sure why. I didn't go to church on a regular basis. My experience with the church was a little bit contentious, actually. I never really felt like I fit. I was an only child raised by a single mom, and though she is a Christian, she was way too busy in those days raising and supporting a child on her own to go to church on a regular basis. And when she did go, she oftentimes did not feel welcome because she was a divorced woman. So mostly I went to church when I was at one of my grandparents' homes. My grandmothers, in particular my dad's mom, did a lot to form my faith. She really developed my understanding of God. She taught me that God loves everybody without exception, and she taught me that we can trust God. The church I grew up around, on the other hand, had a little bit different message that I received. I grew up in North Carolina, which is part of the Bible Belt, and The primary understanding of Scripture in that area at that time was as literal and inerrant. So I was taught, based on that premise, that women should be silent in church and submissive to their husbands, and that salvation was mostly a personal choice, the implications of which were primarily related to what happens to you after you die. You make the right choice, and you spend eternity in paradise, make the wrong choice, and you spend an eternity in a fiery hell. All of which made absolutely no sense to me, given the God that my grandmother was so sure of, and none of which required very much from the faithful in this lifetime. So when God called to me, whom shall I send? I found myself looking around for someone a little more qualified At the end of my formal Methodist discernment process, I did go on to seminary where I learned and continued to discern and grow in my faith until by the time I graduated, I could hear God's voice a little more clearly. I heard God's voice, as mentioned during children's time, through the voices of my seminary professors, 
through pastors, through mentors, through my husband, shh, don't tell him, through friends and family. And I came to understand that God was calling me to ordain ministry in the local church and that I was being called to preach. I was being called into the local church as an ordained elder where I could have the opportunity to extend a very wide, open welcome to all those who, like me and like my mother, had felt at some point excluded by the church or maybe a little suspicious of the church because of maybe literal understandings of the Bible or because of theologies that can sometimes lend themselves to a sense of exclusivity or condemnation or conditional love. It's a call that I'm still discerning and growing into. It's beautiful. And it's terrifying. God calls all sorts of people from around the world and all across time to things that seem impossible and oftentimes make absolutely no sense. Mary and Moses and Samuel and Jacob, Ananias, me, you, we are all called, each and every one of us, to serve God in ways that are sure to be uncomfortable called to be God's voice, called to be God's hands and feet, God's heart. We're called in our vocations, in our families, in our churches, in our communities. And like Judah, we have enemies that threaten us. We have poverty. We have hunger. We have political divisiveness. We have racism, to name a few. Our most recent enemy has approached not from the north, but from the south. Harvey, it's impossible to know right now the extent of devastation that will be left behind. But we know that thousands of people will have lives that are forever changed as a result of this storm. And the recovery effort will take a long time. The need seems overwhelming. And I at least feel completely insufficient to respond to that need. But you can bet God is calling us. Who shall I send I think we all feel unprepared and insufficient in contrast to the breathtaking revelation of God's presence. But God is calling to us in this place, in this time, in our current circumstances. God calls us to a radical and faithful abandon. It's beautiful, and it's terrifying. But if not us, who will God send? Amen.